0: We are back with Dr. Lambert Shell, Keisha Watson-Phillips, Carol Gilliam, Michelle Samuel, Salima Mullen, and Sintisha Kendrick-Samuel, and Stacy Smith-Brown.
1: Okay, so, Sintisha, the, the idea to bring everybody here came from when we were at the, the Rick, um conference. And who, who dragged you in? Because we, we just had people grabbing people off, the, off, like, in the hallway and dragging them into the room for the podcast. You know, Was I, it Chris honestly, Kratz?
0: My, I don't. I, someone just told me come. I don't even remember. Yeah, we're back there. So,
1: <laughs> so when we are at Lil Rick, they set us up in a room, which was usually like the bridal suite, but we didn't even get the bridal suite this year. We got the groom suite. Mm. So it was, you know, we couldn't fit this table in there. Oh. Wow. And I think we were sitting on like an ottoman or something. It was, it was pretty sad. But we had people just dragging people in, and here comes Cintia, and the one thing that she said was, and it was funny because she said, you know what, I'm just going to say it. When when there are conferences, uh, people of color tend to look for each other in the crowd. So that said to me, th- there's a story here. So that's that's why I wanted to have this this dialogue and this discussion. Um, so um, I wanted to hear to to expand on that, um, and that's the reason why we brought everybody here for this. So tell me about what that experience is like being at a conference and being one of the few people of color in that conference. Tell me what that experience is like. Tell me from somebody who may not have that experience.
2: You want the real story?
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's, and it's funny because I was thinking about how can I draw a comparison to that? And, you know, librarianship is primarily a female field. So, I, you know, the guys are doing the same thing. We're like, oh, is there any of the guys around here? Uh, so, so go ahead and, and tell us about your experience with that. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um,
2: This is funny because it reminds me of... um, There's a show called Mm Blackish, And I remember we had a a meeting one time at work. And um, one of the things that our our white colleagues found out that was amazing was that black people do that. We look and see, you know, who's in the room because we're looking for a connection or um, a commonality, Mm -hmm. I guess. And the reason for that is because many times... Um, When you go to conferences, you are the only person in the room. I know for myself as a school librarian, that's usually the feeling. And it's a feeling of isolation. When I first became a librarian uh, in in Nassau County, I used to go to meetings and no one would speak to me. You know, No one would say anything to me. And I was a brand new librarian. But it wasn't the same for my white colleagues who were new librarians. Um, People would speak to them. People would acknowledge them. Um, so there's that sense of isolation. I'm not quite sure exactly why that is. Over time, I found out that I had to be very outspoken. I had to speak up and, and unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to view it, be the first to say hello, be the first to introduce myself, have the courage to to join a group um, that may or may not you know, be welcoming to me. So those experiences, unfortunately... It can be tough. It can be tough as a as a new librarian to come into a space where you're not welcomed.
1: I was just going to say, you you want to, and for somebody who maybe runs an event like that, you want everyone to feel welcome. So it must feel incredibly disenfranchising mm-hmm. to to walk into a room full of people and nobody's talking to you.
2: And it's funny because um, just this couple of months ago on Twitter. They started talking about all the microaggressions that happen in the library world when you go to conferences. So, for example, um, picking up a book at, you know, uh, when they have, you know, um, selling books or authors doing things, and someone saying, you know, put that back or that's not for sale. But then you witness some, you know, someone else doing something similar and it's a different thing. They're having a conversation with them, they're a little more welcoming. They give them the book. They give them the book, and and on (laughs) Twitter, (laughs) yes, and on Twitter that exploded. I don't know when the L.A. conference was. Oh, um, exactly. Midwinter in Seattle. Midwinter in Seattle. A lot of librarians of color now started speaking out about these things where in the past, and, and someone mentioned it because I've been a librarian now for 15 years. This was happening f- 15 years ago, and I'm pretty sure it was happening uh, way before then. But now mm-hmm. people are starting to speak up and say, you know, this is how we're feeling, and this is not okay that, you know, this is going on.
3: Well, I... Um I think with, uh, you know, we know that this field is 80, 87% white. All right, so they're not a whole lot of librarians of color. So when we go to conferences and we see each other, it's a natural thing. You 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 want to be with people who look like you and talk to them uh, about their experiences. And, and one of the things with people, with librarians of color, is the, the, the bad assumptions. I mean, I can remember here, I was... Dressed not like this. I had on jeans. I mean, I didn't think I looked like a bum, but I was weeding and doing a whole lot of stuff. I was on the stool, you know, and this white woman walked up to me and she said, where's the librarian? And I said, oh, I'm the librarian. I'm the Black Heritage Librarian. Can I help you? And she was like, oh, oh, where's the reference desk? And she walked away, Uh, you know, so, I mean, it's like I think quite a few of us has experienced You know, I think yes. all of us have yes. experienced yes. that. I, I, I know when I was working in Harlem at the public library, my, my director, you know, had on jeans, you know, and a shirt, and he was standing by the uh, men's room. And uh, this white man came out of the the, uh, the uh, men's room, and he said to my director, oh, you need to go in there and fix that leak and he just assumed that my director was the custodian. You know, it's those kinds of assumptions. And you know, I mean, look, you see what's going on today. You know, you can look in the news. You know, you can't uh, go to a a pool where you live without somebody calling the police. I mean, it's just, this has happened over and over, and and it happens in our profession. A lot of times people assume that we're not intelligent, even though we're in this profession, they want somebody else to, to wait on them you know I mean I think all of us have experienced this and then like um, you said I can't remember which one you said but uh, you know you go up to a table and you're looking at something and they might assume that you're trying to steal something whereas you know with our white counterparts like you said they'll give you the book I mean these kinds of stereotypes and assumptions just go on and on and on and it's hurtful it really is hurtful you know you learn to deal with it and you say that, you know it's their ignorance but it's, it's very very hurtful and it just doesn't seem to stop so those are the kinds of challenges I feel as a librarian of color it's funny I was just thinking I texted two people at this table
0: after a meeting last week I don't know if you know Key and Peel. They had a comedy sketch, the guy behind Us us and
4: Mm -hmm. whatever.
0: Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Where Obama is going down the line hugging people when he hugs the white people or whatever. He's just like, hey, how you doing? But when he sees a black person, it's like, my brother, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that was me at this meeting. I I met Tahara upstairs. I saw Acacia. I saw a young lady who I thought was Michelle, but it was somebody else. But she was from Great Neck. And I realized it. I'm like... Like, you know, reaching over other people to hug. <laughs> but it's like the joy you the get. Joy. And don't get me wrong. We have a lot of pe- friends, associates from other races or whatever. But it's something different. Like, when you see more than one of us that dot a pepper and the sea of salt in a room, it's just like, I don't know, for me, I just feel elevate, especially if the other person is receptive. Like, yeah, if you want yeah. nothing to do with me, that's different. But.
4: Right.
5: <laughs> I agree. I feel that way uh, when I do go to any workshop or conferences. Not all of us get to go conferences at the same time, but definitely workshops around in our area. I do... Uh, feel a little bit happier if I see Centisha, if I see Keisha, or some of my other comments, I'm like, yay, and you do make a beeline, like, let me get over there and get that seat before somebody else sits down, because then otherwise you are, you're kind of sitting by yourself, Nobody, has, nobody's really talking to you, um, you know, and people are friendly, but it's not the same as like, I have a good old conversation with Satisha or with Keisha, you know, or somebody else that I might see at a conference. Um, you know, if we end up not sitting together, then we're all just kind of sitting there quiet, looking through our papers. Maybe you might pass the time with your phone, and you look around, like, and your way from across the room, hi, you know, maybe I'll see you after, but... It is. It can be a lonely feeling sometimes, because it's like, you know, you're just waiting. Everybody else is talking like they've been best friends since grade school and and you're kind of just sitting on the outside like, hey.
1: And that's sad. Yes. That is sad because why can't, like, you guys have been very accepting of me being here (laughs) regardless of how crappy all my equipment is and and how many things I mess up. But, you know, it's just just sad. It's a sad commentary. And when I worked at Longwood, which is has a large African-American and Latino uh, population, when someone would come to the desk, one thing that I always found was, um, not in every circumstance, but if I was helping somebody of color, and I, hey, how you doing? What's going on? How you been? There's almost like a a, a quarter second of shock. Shock. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, wait. What does he want? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, let me help you. Come on over. And, you know, treating somebody like a human, regardless of what the pigment is in their skin, is such an important thing. And you talk about building those relationships, like with, with the, the people who I helped that were Haitian or from Dominican, you know, Dominican Republic or any place else. Just talking to them like they're people.
3: First and foremost, our job is to help patrons. Mm-hmm. Period. Right. Okay. That's one of the reasons I like working in the, in this community with people who look like me, because I don't have to deal with that.
1: Right. and that's it's really, under, I mean, completely rarely, understandable. I,
3: I, rarely do I have to deal with that. I mean, you know, we do have white patrons, and most of them are very, very nice. But you know, every now and then you get that one. It's like that treats you like, you know, you're not supposed to be there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'll go, I'll go, <laughs> go well, go ahead to the reference desk if that's you want that person to help you. That's okay with me. You know, but that's so ignorant. You know, it is. It really, it is. really is. We're supposed to help patrons you're not supposed to scrutinize what people look like before you hate,
6: uh, help them. Right. But, but on a on a higher level than that at the directorship it gets worse because you don't see any of us at all you know I'm in Nassau County it's only one other black director that I see I mean maybe two, two. that three. I see or three maybe that's it total um, but on a national level when you're interviewing for jobs and interview for many you're, you're almost like the token like I have to bring you in because if you're interviewing for these urban libraries, I have to say I have one or two of you in there. And I had a recent headhunter actually, and I don't think they liked my approach after they, you know, I got to like level three or four and now uh, they went to a different direction. And they actually emailed me back and said they picked someone else. And I emailed them back and said, Why do I care? And they were like, Well, <laughs> you know, what do you mean? I'm like, why do I care that a person got the job if I didn't get the job? Like you know, tell me how why I didn't get it. Get it and- you know, mm-hmm. my, was my resume bad, but why do I care? And they, didn't, and they were like, well, people in your profession know each other, and it's something we think we should do. So I said, I don't really care about that kind of stuff. But when you go to those meetings, and I went to a meeting in San Diego with um, Library Journal directors and maybe four of us. And, you know, when you get four of us in a room, you get some people that don't want to talk to you they rather go talk to someone else, and that's, you know, when you, they come and shake your hand, but it's like, hey, how you doing? Let me go talk to someone else, because maybe they get a benefit out of doing that, and we all get the same benefits, and, you know, and I think, you know, and I look at it very differently, because at that level, <coughs> with these, with these uh, vendors that we all have in our library, it's about how much money you can spend with them. They don't care less about, you know, the color of your skin, so, you know, if I come from a small library, they're not going to spend as much time with me if I come from a library that has a $100 million budget. I get it. Maybe they don't get it, but I get it, so... You know, when you go to these conferences and the other things, the people that don't talk to you is kind of surprising. It's like, it's more like a shake your hand, hello, go somewhere else. Because, you know, and I've been places when I've seen people, I know we talked at other places, but when they get around other folks, it's like you don't even exist. And that's, you know, that's fine. But, you know, but then when something's going on or they typecast you in a certain way of uh, being one type of person, you know, it's, it's very, it's very, um, to me, misleading. But, you know, it's, You know, on that directorship, it gets even worse. I mean, you are looking in the crowd for a few, but when you go to those directors' meetings, you're like, you got communities that are hiring people that's not reflective of the community. I Mm -hmm. mean, that's and that's Mm -hmm. what you see in librarianship. You have a you know, urban library, and you're like, how did you get that job? You know, you went, you came from where, and you got that job. And there's a couple of them out there right now. When I email me back, I look the person up. I'm like, how did they land that? Wow. And not because of they doing these great ideas, because in librarianship. And you so many great ideas you can do. I mean, you know, the biggest thing now, no, you know, no fines and all the technology stuff, you're going to do something a little bit different than someone else. You know, it's about leadership, and maybe the person's a good leader, but it gets even more difficult. You know, coming in Long Island, I got to get used to this whole civil service stuff, which oh to me I think is, about you know, which is, you know, I'm a person that got an 82 on a civil service exam. How did I get 82 when I was going to, you know, but... I can care less because, but that's not about me caring. It's about the people who are coming up after me because I'm at a directorship. I'm not one of these guys. that want to bounce around, mm-hmm. but if I can get 82 and I've managed, you know, budgets and built programs, things like that and other stuff. And the people that's, that's been here for a long time is not getting a score. Neither. That's not about, and I got some other person I'm interviewing that's got like a 90. I'm looking at them and looking at someone else saying, how in the world did that happen? That's, that's a lot about, you know, that's a lot about race. It's not about, you know, you fill out an application. I mean, that's about, that's about something else. And, you know, I've talked to most people around the table about that. And I think one of the luxuries that I tell Ms. Brown and Ms. Gilliam, I, you know, I have a special exemption. I'm not from Long Island. I don't really care about civil service in terms of that sense. I think people, you hire people who, who can work a job and who work are quality workers and you do the right. I think their rights are protected in one other way. But, you know, you go to some of these meetings right now and it's it's, it's bad that you almost got to pull somebody to to talk to you about something when you're both sitting in the same seat, having the same issues in terms of you know color. I mean, you, we all go in the same meetings, and we don't only face that people want to see in those meetings, but we can't talk to have a dialogue about that. And it's, and it's, and you know, it, it's bad. And the profession reflects the nation. I think we think that is different because of what we do um, in terms of um, empowering people in the community with knowledge and information and technology. But when you look at the profession in terms of the country, it's the same. It reflects anything that you see in business. It reflects anything that you see in whether it be in the police department, education system. You have people who are running organizations that don't look like the people that they're servicing in the community. And that right there sets you up for many, many different things. And Ms. Gilliam's right. I mean, I'm here. I have a lot of problems here with people coming here. You know, I remember working in Danbury, Connecticut. I had an assistant director who was a young white girl that I took everywhere with me and I remember getting having a problem with a, a black man who was smoking in front of the library and I told him he couldn't smoke it from the library and he got all irate and got crazy and I said listen you can't do it he came upstairs to my office me and her sitting there talking he went right to her and say are you are you his boss you she was like no he's my boss <laughs> you know so and I'm and I just told him and you know so and then he looked at me like oh and I was like, you know, yeah, and if you want me to call the mayor, I can call the mayor right now, too. So, I mean, you still have that in the profession, but you have it in, and have it in most. And, and, it, and, it's, and it's sad, and it needs to change, you know, hopefully sooner than later. Yeah,
3: yeah I'm, I'm glad. Just, just to, uh, uh, I don't want to hog the conversation, but just to uh, say something about the scoring. You know, uh, I came from New York Public Library, so I wasn't used to that civil service thing either. But, you know, Dr. Shell is right. You know, Dr. Shell, he's Dr. Shell. Okay? I have four degrees. I was a school librarian and my score was 85. And then you have white librarians who just come out of library school who get 90s. How is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, how is that? Just look at it, you know. But, you know, so it's just it's just not right. It just happens over and over and over and over again. I mean, you know, we've been trying to challenge that. Uh, I think the change in the whole Nassau's uh, Civil service system, but you know we had to challenge that as as librarians of color, you know because it is how do you explain that? It's simple. How do you explain that?
1: And it's interesting because in in Nassau County it's different than it is in Suffolk Mm -hmm. County. So if you take the librarian one test, you're all nodding your heads because we kind of were envious of your system. But when I started to hear because the the whole training and experience thing, it's um, it's another whole can of worms because the the written test for the one and the two. You read these questions and you go, I've never, I've been doing this 15 years. I've never Don't seen this situation. You know, so you get that end of it, too, with a written. But at least that's a more objective standard. Um, but I think t- taking it and turning it into something that's more anonymous, where it's a number so nobody knows that it's, you know, this guy or this person and there's no bias that comes into play with, with regard to giving a grade because they like somebody or don't like somebody.
2: But they would have to make a test. And well, a written test would help. A, a real test. And the test would have to be um, evaluated to see how it's connected to what's coming out of the master programs. Um, so the test is not outdated. Um, there would need to be a lot of work. And, and, you know, Nassau County has been very slow with any type of Changes, in my opinion, um, which is why I went into the schools. Even though schools are slow with certain things too, but um, you know, you would really need some strong leadership in NASA kind to come and change some of those things.
0: And it's very tied into politics too, because they are redoing the tests now that Democrats in office. And I'll I'll say it like the old administration very biased. Like Miss Gilliam, you should have had a one hundred. I remember when (laughs) that happened. It made well, I no. I thought I should have too. It, it made at least a ninety. <laughs> it, it made no sense, but I know other people who are not people of color who have no library experience, but they had two masters who were at the top of the list, and that walked them into a job. So I know they changed the test in Nassau County. They're supposed to make it more in line with New York State or the grading system. I don't know. I didn't go to that workshop, but it's but even like yeah, take out our names like Cynthia, what? you know I'm black. Like It's like, they and I have a himstead live? address too, so right. exactly. make it anonymous. If I mean, do something, but right. it's too subjective.
6: How about they just do what the rest of the world is doing? You submit Hello. your resume and you, you Oh, know, that would, wouldn't that be great? And you pick the best person for the job. And then <laughs> that be if, great? If, if you need to be protected by a union, you're protected by a union. There's no problem with that. I mean, schools do it. I mean, but this whole, you know, it's tough. Well, I mean, I, 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 we, we have a position posted now. I'm going to sit and interview the same guy six times, and I'm not going to hire him, you Seriously?
1: know, but I have
6: to go through the same process and to me it doesn't make sense he, he, and not because he's not a—he's just not qualified to work in this community and I'm not going to set him up to fail, like I don't do people like that and I think, you know, you want to hire the best person for the job so that the people in the community benefit from having a quality, a quality person work, you know, in your public library but, you know, like I'm dreading next week when we got to tell these people to come in because I'm like I'm, I'm telling you, I met a guy when he sat down for the interview I'm like I don't have no questions to really talk to you about. I mean, I can ask you the same question over and over again, but you're going to give me the same answers. You're going to send me a letter saying thank you for meeting, but you don't meet our qualification in terms of what's going on. So, I mean, it's, it's you know, that's I mean, that's part of it also. But I also think that you got you know some directors who get to where they need to be or to that level where they're trying to get to and forget about the people that's you know behind them and trying to help them move them up. I mean, you know, I don't like you. you if your team, if you're leading and, and, the, and the people who support you underneath is not. It's not helping you. You're not supportive to them. Then you, you, know, you know your leadership or who you are doesn't, doesn't has, has no value. So, you know, and that's what I try to do wherever I am. I'm like, yo, listen, I'm not I'm not going to be a tomorrow. walk out and get hit by a bus. You know, Ms. Brown has the skill sets to come in and be in charge. Or, in other words, succession planning. People don't do that neither. Who's the next person in charge that can probably do the best thing for you? to have the same kind of vision, same kind of leadership. And if you if you if you work that way, it makes life a lot easier because you you know people value you and they see. You. You know where they value stand and who they are, and it's not perfect. You know I could, I could be a jerk. You know many times, and I'm hoping, hopefully, they call me. Yeah, I tell people all the time, I got to couch them off. You want to come and yell and scream at me? <laughs> come, yell and scream at me? I don't care. But you know, in the end, you know how can we? How can we best serve? You know the people that we're that we're that we're you know that we're that, that are coming in here and in the community as a whole.
1: Well, that's actually a good transition to the next question. The second question that we have, we kind of we kind of murdered that question. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So, uh, and and this is a great transition because one of my favorite people in this entire world is Melanie Cardone Leathers. I don't, I know Cintia knows her, and I thought she
0: was Shinnecock native.
1: That's pretty funny, isn't it? Yeah, I'm glad she's she's half Italian. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I love her to death. I worked with her at Longwood. We always have this... So the the one thing that she wanted to bring up, I asked her to be part of this as well. She wanted to talk about the, the idea that how libraries in minority communities don't have staff that's re- reflective of the makeup of the community. We were kind of addressing this earlier. It, it holds true in public library setting and school libraries. So we kind of talked about this and danced around it. At, is there any way to fix that without it turning into an EEOC thing or, you know, an equal employment thing or, you know, how does, how can we, how can we fix that? Just throwing it out there on the table.
2: Well, I think, um, you wanted to talk, Keisha? It's okay. Go <laughs> <Yeah>.
4: ahead.
2: <laughs> no, I think, um, Freeport, which Keisha and uh, Michelle was a part of and, and is still a part of for now. <laughs> they, I think they got it right. They have a good model where they actually, most of their pages, they actually le- elevated up to librarians by supporting them through schools and stuff like that. They could talk more about it. I'm not, I don't know the full story, but you know, that's some something that I carried with me um, as I got closer and closer to administration is. You know, if I see someone that worked well—a young kid or young page—that worked well during the summer, you know, I try to influence. If I saw that um, kind of skill set in them, to head towards librarian school or you know something like that. Um, um, also recommended a few um, pages just to work at the library as clerks as well. You know, get them started. But um, I think. That's one of the things that we should definitely try to focus the most in is trying to bring up young talent starting from a young, you know, like we all encounter young teens. Um, Middle schoolers is I think is our most major patrons at a public library is the middle school because they're the ones that's kind of, you know, looking for some place to be or, you know, um, identity as well. Usually they come to the library. And um, they're the most troubling, too, because the same reason. You know, they're young. They're they're um, looking for identity. Um, this is the age where a lot of them get bullied, you know, stuff like that. So they're the ones that, you know, we should begin to start, you know, like um, influencing and telling them, hey, get a summer job. You know, as soon as you turn 14, get your working papers. You know, we should really be influencing them because I think that's where it's going to come from, you know, um, the most. But that that's my idea on it.
1: It, it's kind of like um, having trying to find Jedis right and bringing them the Jedi the Jedi uh, training school yep. that kind of thing you <laughs> know you want to try to exactly I mean, sure
5: I kind I do agree with that um, and yes Freeport was really good a lot of us, that were there at Freeport, and some that are still currently there started out as pages, and um, and I find that too. Just going out and talking to people in the library world, a lot of people say I started off as a page. Mm-hmm. You know, even if they went off somewhere else and you know did a stint and another career, they usually you know come back to libraries and they're like you know I always came back to my home. But that's um, one way. You know, I mean, civil service definitely turns off a lot of. Really great librarians of colors, and you know, staff in general. Because not just librarians that have to go through civil service; it's the clerks as well, and you know, those in other positions. And it does turn away a lot of um, really peop- great people that probably do amazing things out here in Nassau. Um, they end up just going to Queens and New York Public or Brooklyn because it's just easier to get in the door. And when you need a job and you have bills to pay, you don't have time to deal with the politics of nassau county and their civil service tests, and you know having the residency and all the extra stuff that comes with it but just um you know trying to work with the teens and the youth that we see here that we see every day in our jobs and just letting them know i think just us being at the desk seeing us like okay that's a profession i know when i was um in high school and younger. I had the experience of having a librarian of color, but I never thought of being a librarian as a job and going to college like, oh, I got to go get a master and all that. It wasn't a career choice like you hear when you say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, doctor, lawyer, writer, whatever. Librarianship wasn't really looked at as part of one of those careers to go to college and aspire to be. So I think us being out there and encouraging youth and saying, this is a real career choice for you. Um, and, you know, there's opportunities, and just being there and seeing them hopefully will make them think about it like, okay, maybe that's something I could go into down the line. And not just working in the communities, because it's great to work in the communities where we are seeing. It's mostly students that are, you know, of color, but it's also great being in those communities that are not as diverse as well. Because even if it may not be, you know, 90% African-American, Hispanic, or whatever, there's still going to be some children of color in that community. And so it's good for them to see you sitting behind that desk as well, Mm -hmm. you know it's just as good as it serves the kids that are in the communities that it's solely looking like them to see you sitting behind the desk it's just as important it
0: is. can i just give michelle props because that's why when you took your job as a department head over in oceanside i was like yes like you left report yeah. comfort zone and then you're going to an area that is not as diverse still lovely and everything and you're going in as the head of that department. And that's a brave thing to do, and you're making an impact. So, yeah, yeah, And people are awesome. watching. It is. It's yeah, awesome to
5: be there, and I think it's a great thing for me to be there because, like I said there are children of color in Oceanside and they come in and they see me sitting at the desk and I see sometimes the surprise on parents' faces something like that when they see me sitting behind the desk and then you do definitely see the surprise sometimes when it's like you know they do come in and say hi how are you and I say oh I'm the new head of children's and it's like yes <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah.
7: so, and I guess I'm know. piggybacking after <laughs> Michelle because I'll be entering a similar yeah. role <laughs> you know? it's a great thing yeah. and, and the Oceanside
5: so. community has been very welcoming to me so you know it's good to branch out because not just the kids in the communities that are mostly you know minority based need to see you also the kids that are out in the other communities that are not as diverse all of the kids the kids of color and not of color they need to see us sitting behind those desks as well doing great things they need to be exposed to
7: that I totally agree and this is I mean I toyed with the with the decision, should I make a move? I've been working in three different, very diverse libraries and i remember tr- um, accepting the position and somebody's voice was in my head
4: <laughs> oh the person
7: is laughing <laughs> okay sure. you're never going to do it you got to move you got to you, you, you got to show them that what you can do you got to go somewhere else and i was like yep dr shaw you was like you're and he said you'll never do it you never did and i was like yes i'm going to do it i was like prove it
1: <laughs> you know he did that on purpose right he did, yeah. he did. Yes. i told
7: him that I The said, reverse
1: psychology I thing i said
7: you did it on purpose because you wanted to see me go out there, extend myself, push myself. You know, stop being afraid, stop letting fear control. It. And I thanked him for it the other day. I was like, I know, I heard you, I heard you. <laughs> ah, you're never. <laughs> <laughs> and that is awesome. Like I can look at him and I can say, even as brief as our relationship yeah, has been, yeah. one year, I've been almost yeah. a year, and he made an impact. And I think you have to find people in your, you know in the field in your life that will do that. And as I sit behind the desk or wherever I go, I always want them to see me or any librarian of color as dedicated, just as passionate. Um, um, We can do the work just as well. We are capable. We have ideas. We just need a forum to get it out. And I think we're all doing a great job. And we just, you know, we will always continue to do a great job.
1: That's awesome. And the passion is great. But the the part about that, that kind of makes me sad is that you're saying, we can do it too. Why couldn't you do it too? Because... Your, yeah. your skin's a different yeah. color. Our yeah. brains are all amazing devices, mm-hmm. and it, it's just it it, it 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 makes me sad because you think you have to prove yourself. You have to prove yourself a little bit more, just because your skin may be brown or black.
7: Put my on mouth, na- and then you and hear I, a completely different accent. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but on a, on a national <laughs>
6: level, I mean, public <laughs> librarianship or just librarianship at all. There's no there's no national push to bring in anybody. Of color, like you yeah. have, like you have in schools. I mean, some schools figured out, you know what? There's no minority male teachers, and they go out and they have this big push to bring in
1: recruitment and, and yeah. So when sure. you got
6: these, these, you know, ALA and all these other national organizations. Where's the push to bring in yes. a
1: yeah.
6: different population of people that look like the communities that people are going in, and also the library schools need to be, a, you know, in some ways they need to do a better job because we're getting people in. And everybody here is doing public librarianship, which is something we probably wanted to do, but you get a lot of people who. Who want to be rare book people, wear white gloves, and that's not happening. And they end up in public library where they don't like people, they don't want to talk to people, and they don't want to deal with people on that level. So I think on nationally, it needs to be a push to say, okay, you know, the profession is not dying. Um, so how can we bring in people to make it more attractive than maybe being a school teacher or doing something else? And you know, we don't we don't do a good job at that, you know. And you don't you don't see that push to bring in either more males in the profession because it is a it's a women leading you know profession. You know, whether it be, you know, you know, white men or black men or Hispanic men, we don't see that push for that neither. Or just people who, who may have that thought that, you know, I may want to go to social work, but, you know, I can probably do a little bit of that social work stuff working in the public library because I'm talking to people because it's almost like a community-based organization in a sense. And we don't have that push, you know, and, and I think once we start making that national push to do that kind of stuff, they start changing the profession, but I think people are comfortable, you know. As long as those tech dollars keep coming in for public libraries to continually exist, and nobody's pushing the envelope um, in terms of telling people to do
1: something different, you know, I don't think it's going to change much. Well, do you think it's a grassroots thing? Something that has to start, you know? Well,
2: I think that we need either leaders or systems that put in place to purposely select people of color. There's, it's not purposely done. I think, um, especially here in Nassau County, Um, in the schools, it, it, might be a little bit different. Um, librarianship is still not, you know, diverse at all. But you need a strategic plan. So someone who's purposely is going to look at their mission, look at what kind of people um, they want that you know to be in the be in schools or be representative of schools. I think it needs to be very very purposeful, and you need leaders that's going to sit down and plan that out instead of just saying it. I think that's the issue. The other thing I would say just for myself personally, um, because I get it all the time. I just went to Savannah, Georgia, I think last month, and we were uh, hanging out and, you know, talking about what we all did. And this woman said to me, this woman's, what, 36 years old, and she says, I've never met a black librarian. And we were all laughing and, you know, having fun about it because they were like, what is librarianship and all that. But one of the things I do is I try to put myself in a position where I'm in a leadership position. People see me, and people ask, what do you do? Well, I'm a librarian, and I talk about, you know, some of the same things that we talked about here today. So, you know, what are we doing to make ourselves visible, you know, outside of our positions and our job? And that's very important, because if we just stay um, within just our library no one's going to see us. You know, we have to go to conferences. I've been pushed this past year to present at conferences. Um, my administration is wonderful. Pushed me to, um, you know, do a doctoral program where I'm involved in all kinds of different things. Am I putting myself out there? you know on a regular basis to be in front of people to be nervous sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> or even just this podcast mm-hmm. what we're doing with this podcast is promoting you know black librarianship or not just black librarianship, librarianship but just librarianship
1: period mm-hmm. with Absolutely. all kinds
2: of people of color cuz we still don't have enough you know Latinos I'm um, at Uniondale Public Library I don't think there's any Latino librarian but the population is now 50% you know Latino so those are you know those are issues but Um, again our libraries our schools purposely strategically trying to bring in people of color and that has to have a discussion you need stakeholders you need more than just you know just saying it
0: can i just um yeah go go for it obstacle because solomon makes a lot of sense but we have 54 libraries in nassau county with 54 or is it still 54 but whatever (laughs) 54 different trust boards of trustees if you don't have a board of trustees, I'm not knocking anybody, but if they're not invested in having a representative professional staff, either through in-house promotions or figuring out a way to finagle, getting
1: kind England, of recruitment? I, I yeah. almost feel like recruitment is the word we're looking for, exactly. right?
0: Exactly, but if they're not invested with that, then you're going to get nowhere. Because I was a trainee at Peninsula Library in the five towns. Totally different community and culture, but what I noticed is that just about every librarian who was there in administration, they were all from the Five Towns, and the board, they recognized that and they saw the value in that. They knew the community. They like you know, and you could see that within the, service and the servicing of that library to the community, it, it worked. So now we have we have some people who say, "Well, we have staff members of color, but you don't have any professional staff members of color." Right.
1: That, and I think that's where the yeah. there's there's a gap right so you can hire a bunch of teenagers come and put books away and then you see you see potential right and say okay i'm going to make you a clerk so now you're a clerk but then there's this this divide right um whether it's socioeconomic or whether it's an interest or lack of interest like most of us here we didn't go into this i mean and this is the big thing with the profession we don't go in unless you're that one percenter you don't Go in saying I'm going to be a librarian. My wife, by the way, one percenter. It for anybody, regardless of you know what the color of their skin is. It's a second career, so it's almost like you have to say you have to Im- implant it in their head. They worked at the library when they were kids, and then they go off into the world and do whatever they do. Maybe they go to college. Maybe they learn a trade. Maybe they do something else, and then they realize, crap, this stinks. I had more fun when I was working in the library. Maybe ding, the light bulb goes off, and they come back now. I don't, know, I don't know if there's any studies that talk about percentages or anything, but even if it's 1% or 2% or 3% that come back, all we can do is being librarians and, and trying to implant that in, in the people that work as, you know, the kids or even patrons. You know, if we can try to instill that to have them come back or maybe even have, like, I want to say, like... Uh, a librarian job fair kind but of thing. But that has
2: to be promoting just the field itself, right? Because most people don't I think say That's that the because first hurdle, the, yeah, yeah, the position is not like oh my gosh, this is an exciting <laughs> position. It's not like a doctor or a lawyer, right? Or, or so many people want well, to be the lawyers.
1: Engineers now which is the new doctors and lawyers, uh, yes. right? Mm-hmm.
2: Engineers. Yeah. My son's in, in engineering school. I'm See, it's, it's funny because, like,
1: my, my daughter's boyfriend going to school for engineering. All of her friends going to school for engineering. So, like, when our generation and uh, let's face it, we're all around the same age, right? We're not going to pull numbers, but you know, I don't know about you guys, but my mom and dad were always like, "You got to be." You only do. Like, but like you know, my mom and dad were like, "Be a lawyer, be a doctor." But now with us, with our kids, we're like, "Be an engineer." So the world's going to be really cool in about 30 years because there's going to be a gluttony of engineers. But, I mean, look what happened with the gluttony of lawyers we had now, right? So, um, I don't know. Engineering
2: is just, a hard field.
1: <laughs> it is. I
3: just, I just wanted to say something um, about the careers, about the profession. I think a lot of young people really don't understand and know what we do. And I think the recruitment that you mentioned, job fairs, you know, schools have job fairs. I think it, it has to be a librarian and you know there Mm. Uh, all these places the tech stuff you know that's the world today but you know there needs to be a librarian there because I tell students all the time when I talk to them you know they're law librarians and medical Mm -hmm. librarians Mm -hmm. they're uh, uh, all different kinds of librarians you don't just have to work in a Public library. That's right. I'm shocked, right? You know, are they're, mm-hmm. they're librarians who work in museums. I met a librarian. All she does is cut out pictures all day. She works for one of the museums down to the. You know, she's a picture librarian. I never heard of that. But there's, there's
1: hospital so, librarians so too. So many,
3: yeah, medical yeah. librarians. Mm-hmm. There's so many different kinds of librarians. And one of the things, um, when I was in the Freeport schools, I um, I was a president of the Black Educators Organization, and. The person who was in charge of hiring, the director of personnel, was a black woman. She was African. She was from Ghana. And we challenged her. We said, Why aren't there more people of color? Why aren't you hiring more people of color? And it was very interesting. All she does is really process applications. She said, The people who make the decisions on who's going to be in the schools are the principals. And she said, There are not enough of us applying.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: You know? So I Fair. said, hmm, that really, you know. She said, they're not enough people of color applying, especially men, you know, because you you look in the schools, you don't see that many men teachers anymore, you know. They teach physical education, or,
1: Shop or something, you like, know, that, something yeah. like that.
3: Yeah. But I, I thought about that. I said, and then why aren't they applying? Maybe because with us, maybe it's not enough of us. You know, to, because so they they're not us, they're you know. not mm-hmm. enough of us going to library school. That's possible.
1: Mm-hmm. Nobody hears you screaming. You know, for it. so
3: uh-huh. so something like Dr. Schell said, something has to be done maybe on a national level or something has to be done to kind of get more of us people of color to go to library school, to get out there, you know, so that we can be hired and be in all these different segments of librarianship because it's it's really like I said the statistics tell you yeah, the the, percent, the, pro, uh, what is it? the profession
6: is 87% right. Yeah, but it's not sexy anymore. This, this librarianship is not sexy. It's not something that people look at and be like, hey, you know. <laughs> but when you tell people what you're doing, and they're like, <laughs> well, you I, do that. What? they still doing yeah, that. But when you really tell them what you're actually doing, they're like, because my friends, I mean, my friends, are, I know, you know, my like, friends do social service stuff sexy. and all that stuff, and they <laughs> wish they had my job because I'm like, yeah, I do travel. Exactly. I do present. I'm like, every time I turn around, you're going somewhere. And I'm like, yeah. Or, yo, you doing that in the library? I'm like, yeah. So we gotta make profession a lot more sexy than what it is it's just I don't I'm so no he's right he's, he's right,
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> he's right the you know. <laughs> I, I use that term all the time it's like how do we how do we make this program sexier do, in, in terms of drawing people in right
3: <laughs> yeah, it's sexy but we're saying the same hey, more attractive right. glasses off Man,
1: she's, she's throwing down now she's ready <laughs> it, <laughs> wow so talking about libraries as, wow I love it <laughs> So, as you're, you're all talking about this, my, my brain is turning, how can we put ourselves out there and say we're more than that stupid New York lottery commercial where somebody scratched off the ticket and said they won and, mm-hmm. and everybody goes, shh, no, I can't, st- can't tell you. I destroyed them on Twitter about 30 times because I keep getting the ads on my Twitter feed. I'm like, Are you kidding me? Really? So, is there anything that we can do on a local level to almost, let's say, let, let's, let's throw it out there. Let's be the model. And then guess what? Do a presentation at ALA. This is what we did. This is how we're recruiting people of color. We're going to the schools. We're going to the community organizations. I need to present ALA. Uh,
6: send us someone different to talk about something that's different. Send but one, I think we have a we have a terrible libraries have a and I've been saying this for many years because I've I've worked on many different grants was at Queens. Libraries are very different job, we, we, nobody cares about circulation numbers anymore. Like, that's not important. And when I was at Queens Library, we had the number one circled library in the United States, 20 million, nobody cares about that. Libraries have to redirect what they're reporting out to the community. We're getting people jobs, we're teaching people how to talk English, we're, we're, we're a community-based organization, we're doing all the things that the government people or the, the naysayers in the community want to hear. We do a terrible job at reporting that out. We don't, we got people coming every day looking for jobs, advancing themselves. How many people come to your library, take a class, we're making $15 an hour. They took one class in July, but now they're making $20 an hour. We don't get that information because we don't care who you are, but we need to probably get that information in order for us to promote what we do. So even with, our, even with this job that we have, you know, when I stand in front of a bunch of kids like I'm a librarian, I'm like, are you serious? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And then you tell them what you do, and it ain't just sitting behind the desk. Right, so we gotta, exactly. And that's the whole part. we got to change that whole
1: dynamic. The mindset. Shh. You know, we don't, like, we don't, don't know, do that, don't that no do anymore. I <laughs> anymore. I haven't done that in, right, maybe so, I did it twice. Did Until we change that whole
6: image of who we are and what we do, and you know the profession is going to remain the same. And how we do that, how we create that image, and maybe there's a PR stuff that we can do that to make it look different. Maybe it can start out here and start somewhere else. That's the only way it's going to change, because these kids are not looking at it as something that's sexy.
1: Right, you know, they tell me we, we, we don't
6: listen to rap music or rock music or any other exactly. kind of music. They go home, yeah. you know, read books and have 10 cats in the house. And that's you not know. the case. Wearing
4: group dresses
2: and cardigans. <laughs> I wanted to um, uh, talk about Sentisha, who has been instrumental in, in and ma- majorly, the, the one majorly um, responsible for us having the new organization.
0: Um, oh, association.
2: Okay.
0: But can I give you your props first? Because oh, gee,
2: wait, wait. Okay.
0: <laughs> way, back when Stacey and I worked together at Uniondale, and I learned a lot about community engagement from Stacey because she knew she knew everybody, and they knew her. And it was more than oh, hello, Miss Smith Brown or whatever. But she was like, hey, how you doing? How's the kids? Did so and so get back from what? And I was watching all of this, and even though when she moved on, eventually it like it stayed with me and it's just like that's that grassroots types of thing where people like even years after she was gone how so much like they remembered her and the same thing like with that engagement again to encourage young people to consider this profession I mean, we may, <laughs> it's a sexy profession and everything, but, <laughs> but there's ways there we can get to that, but <laughs> I, I just, that always, just always stayed with me, how she was able to, like, really connect with the patrons of Uniondale. Well,
7: and can I piggyback over that? The oh, first yeah. week that I started here, where did we take a walk to? He said, "Come with me. Come with me. Let's cross the street and go down to the community." <laughs> I was like, it. "This is this is my job." Okay, let's go. We walked across the street, down the road, around the corner to the community garden to yeah. show me what. And I was like, "This is awesome! Like yeah. this is what we need. This is, this what is what we
3: how." Do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have to say again. I have to thank Stacy for. Uh, Stacy walked me through my first bus trip. I'm in charge of the bus trips here, and we go on a lot of great bus trips. So the first bus trip I did as a librarian here, we did it in conjunction with Uniondale. We took a tour of Harlem, and Stacy was at Uniondale right before that. before you had Naya. Mm-hmm. And Stacy walked <laughs> me through it. She said, "This is what you do. Now you put this little money. You know, you do this. You know." She was very, very. Uh, 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 What's the word? Mm-hmm. Meticulous, I should say, about how you should set up this bus trip. And, uh, you know, I've had 10 bus trips since then, you know. But it's it's all about, like I said before, it's all that, that part of that trifecta. It's all about outreach. You know, you you can't be a good librarian if you sit behind the desk and what
2: we're and what we're talking about too, because I can give kudos to Stacy. Stacy trained me right? <laughs> when I was a librarian trainee. At so
1: Eden. all roads go back to Stacy. <laughs> so where was I? How come I missed this? This vote.
2: So where? So I guess one of the things we can do also to keep people in this profession is make connections, right? That's right. right. Make the connections. connections that we need to make, and and I I, I was on Twitter. I'm on Twitter a lot. Um, <laughs> and, and a, and a, and a uh, black librarian said, um, if you are a librarian of color, please retweet your name, what you do, and where you're at. And I have all—I had all these new followers. We were all amazing. You had to take wow. a picture of yourself. So we were like, you know, loving each other's pictures and everything. And we just made these connections now that, you know, nice. you know we even... I mean, you can't really... Well, I'm kind of a little old school, so I'm not making friends on Twitter. Um, I know that's different now, but not me. Um, But you kind of get a little glimpse into some of these people's lives and what they're thinking and even things that they're going through. Some people, you know, tweet, so...
1: Think about how powerful that is. Just Mm -hmm. when you said that, how can we take what you just did and take that group, with their permission, of course, and do something powerful with that? Mm -hmm. Because now, without even knowing it, you just created a database of people. So, yeah, yeah. Now, how can you yeah. take that database of people? And even if you get one-tenth of those people mm-hmm. to be involved in in whatever that I- next idea is going to be, with recruitment, with changing perceptions, making things sexy, I love that. I'll um,
3: <laughs> never no, forget that one. Um, <laughs> libra- I'm the sexy librarian. We
1: should all get T-shirts. <laughs> oh but, but you know what I mean? Like I You made an instant database without even really knowing it. So how can... Now I, you guys, you're great at just anticipating the, the questions that I had because this whole segment we're just covering everything. I don't even have to ask the questions anymore. Sorry, Santisha, <laughs> you can get an answer I'm another question. my
5: job. But,
1: but how can we turn that into something? Now I know you just started the new organization. We um, we collectively. <laughs> yes. I didn't know everybody till today, so <laughs> you, you were my 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 gatekeeper to that. Now how can we turn that into something we can use for recruitment? Through outreach now at and we do a lot of outreach to the schools and we're bringing tech we're bringing low-tech we're bringing high tech we actually went to uh, their career day to talk up librarianship yep. cool. and all of our swag disappeared which is which is a good thing because it means the kids if nothing else they're going to pay attention for 15 seconds how can we do that on a level with people of color and how do we first of all avoid that perception that no offense to the glasses with the the chain on it but how <laughs> But how do we avoid the the idea that it's a white woman sitting behind a desk with a pencil stuck in the bun in her hair? I can't make a bun in my hair. Um, You know, how do we move away from that perception? Even people who weren't alive that are living in Russia now don't even know what the Soviet Union was like back then. So how do we change the mindset of the young generation now to not see the library as a bunch of old, crazy white people with cats? that, you know, don't go up from behind the desk and shush people and wear a shawl all day. You know, how do we change that perception? Mm-hmm. Now, I've seen a whole bunch of media campaigns where I'm a librarian and, you know, it's some guy that's all tatted up and, or it's a person of color or it's somebody who's an LGBTQ person or, mm-hmm. you know, how do we... And I've talked about this on the podcast. This is, somebody's going to throw their phone out the window now because i said it a billion times. We're really good at reaching the people to come into the building. We have your newsletter. We're really good at mailing those newsletters out, and we all know what happens to most of those newsletters. How do we go that step further and market ourselves? I mean, really, really market ourselves. How do we as libraries, and as librarians of color, how do we get the message out there? How do you, it's it's just, how do we do this? And this is maybe an ALA question, ALA, are you listening? You know. How do we do this for people of color? How do we attract people of color to librarianship? And how do we attract males to librarianship and male men of color as well? How do we make that happen? There there needs to be some real meaningful discussions at, on, on the national level, but also right here in this room.
0: Well, even the formation of this new committee, just think about it. We can get together, amongst along with all the other library staff of color who want to get involved, can be clerks to whatever support mm-hmm. staff. Sure. We could propose a program for ALA, for Nyla, for PLA, for a Long Island Library Conference, mm-hmm. Ulu in the city, things like that. This could be a tool where we can send as a committee conference proposals to get the message out on more than a local level. Yeah. That's one possibility. Mm-hmm. Well, that's well, one, a, one of the things that I.
2: But the reason why I brought up, you know, that you, you guys, you. Um, created this, <laughs> this <laughs> chapter, You. <laughs> um, the reason why I brought it up is because it all goes back to um, the the support. Um, and I think most librarians should or may get their support from ALA and... BCLA. BCLA. Well, I'm saying ALA overall, and then BCLA, and then our local... Nassau County, Suffolk County associations. I think that we really um, should kind of push that issue a little bit more for support across the board for libraries of color as well as regular just librarians in general. Um, and I think that they need to get rid of this old format. You know, even the logo sucks to me. The NCLA, just, I mean like it's old, it's outdated. Um, it needs a better logo. I mean, I'm, to me that's just like the basic 101 to bring stuff like that up, but then also um, build that up on a national level, uh, uh, local level, national level, so on and so forth. But um, I guess what I'm trying to say mostly is that um, librarians of color do not have any real type of support at all when it comes down to associations, um, national, locally, or whatever. I do know, you know, several librarians who have experienced high-level um, racism, you know, um, in getting a directorship and being called coons um, uh, as they was escorted out by police because the, the library no longer wanted this person there, you know, um, as a, and for no real hardcore reason like uh, Theft or mismanagement of money or whatever. It was like, we don't like you no more, and was escorted off of the property by the police and was called names and buckwheat and go back to Africa, you know, stuff like that. It was taken to an ALA level and nothing. 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 There was not a sound, not a peep, nothing. That To me, that's extreme um, racism. In your face, it was documented. Mm-hmm. You know, it was in newspapers. It was, um, it was horrible. You know, um, very little support. That that's just one of the stories. Um, plenty of stories that goes around. Um, and then who do you go to for the support? You know, um, can you go to, ALA, which is a super duper big <laughs> organization? You know, can you? You we have, and nothing really came out of it. You know, but all of that to say. Um, We should be looking more to our associations nationally, locally, Um, and they should be doing more across the board for librarians to change the image of what a librarian looks like and making it sexy and making it look more (laughs) cooler and on top of that, plus, you know, helping us, um, librarians of color. Um, on a larger, larger, larger scale. That, that's just to me where it can start at, let alone just us in the room. Yes, we can do plenty more, you know, I, I think that it would be great, but I really do feel like the associations owe that to us. That's just how I feel. I think
6: mm-hmm. you gotta stop looking at it. You gotta look at the businesses that are making tons and tons of money. The, the Apples, the Nikes, you know the card whoever's making all the money looking how they branding themselves that make people want to get an iphone or make people want to get a samsung like take bits and pieces of what they do and try to use part of that and put it into a campaign for you know people, people you know people want to come to a of color you know we got to stop looking at that because you know we are quasi government in that sense but you know when you're trying to build a brand or build something that's very different you have to take bits and pieces of, of people that do things 10 times better because they have 10 times more money but also, you can always steal bits and pieces of what they do and how they how they make people feel in terms of getting And I know BCLA. I was on the executive board many years ago, and people walked away from it because they felt they wasn't supported when things critical things happen And you know, they they, they 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 I think they're changing that and trying to get people to come back on. But you know, if something happens, who do you turn to? Who do you support? What do you do? What's the fight? You know, and and what's the fight? You only are you mad because it's only a personal color that gets upset or you mad about the whole thing that happened totally so you know in terms of um you know what we do you know moving forward or how we do how we brand ourselves how we make this this profession you know truly what it is you know the image has to change you know and, and that's that's media um, um, and the branding has to change and it's you know and like I, had, like I said Maureen O'Connor who's an Irish white woman who sat me down in the office and said this, this profession is all white ladies and it needs you just like that she told me right to my face and I didn't believe her but I'm like I don't want to do it but here I am today and we still talk today she's like a mother to me and she's the one that pushed me it wasn't no African American librarian I had a few work at Queens it wasn't um, it wasn't African American women I had a few work there they all knew me but this, she sat me down and said I see the potential that you have I know what you have this profession needs you and she made it happen and I think every day for it and you know so when I got in this profession it's only right, like I said, for me to just give people I think that the same opportunities that was afforded to me, and, and bring people up, whether it be a person of color or not. But I think you know, like Miss Brown, Miss Brown makes my job easy. You know, to be honest with you, she makes my job very easy. Miss Gilley makes my job easier. You know, you know, people who work here make my job easy because you know you want to empower people. And I, like I said, it just and it gets back to that that same old thing. You know, it goes to the community as a whole. It goes to people as a whole in the African American community, or as, you know, people community of color. You know, it's that whole crabs in the barrel kind of mentality. You know, you're going up, I'm going to pull you back down because you know you're not, you know. But you know, you got to get people when you're going up to pull whoever's behind you up to set things in place so that they can climb up those ladders. You know, you put a peg. It's like you know, you know. I guess when you get lost in the forest, you put down you know bread chips in order to find your way back. And if we're not doing that in leadership, if you've gotten to the top, where's the breadcrumbs that you put for the next person to come, up, to, to, to come forward with you? And I don't think we do enough of that. And no, we, don't. We, we don't. do enough of that. And until we start doing that, we're going to still always have these issues and these problems. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, what you started will bring more people in to talk about this. You know, because it's not just about, like you said, librarianship. It's about the clerks that come here as well and how can we put people in know board positions out here in Long Island because the boards are more important than the directors out here we all know that I just you know but how do you put people in positions uh, that can make you know that can do things different at Queens I hired people that was different I couldn't get you in the librarianship but I brought people in the library that was social workers counselors people who work in organizations that have position of power that can make decisions so now okay you're not a librarian you know but you're working in a library now you see what the library is about now, I could almost kind of push you in that direction to be a librarian. Now, I had a woman, you know, who was working as a youth counselor. Push, push, push. And now she's a librarian now. And you got to do that kind of thing. Hire people to look and see what librarians do. Let people know that you don't have to be a librarian to work in a library. You can be a lawyer, you can be an
1: accountant. You know, you can be. You could be an IT guy, IT person. I'm sorry. Yeah, and, you know, and, and a decision maker in those positions, not just sure. as a director, but a
6: big time decision maker in those positions. Or you could be a trustee. Mm-hmm. You could be a trustee and be a big time decision maker in those decisions. So, we got to talk about all that we do to get people to understand what's going on. But, librarianship, you know, in terms of what we do, I just think that we don't do enough of, of talking about who we are and what we are. And, like you said, I've seen the campaigns too, Got standing there with a bunch of tattoos. That's not going to make nobody be know, you know, no librarian. You know, just like we have a recording studio here. I'm not trying to create more. No more more rappers. I mean, I, the way they rap right now, I can. Well, I don't want to hear that crap no more. You know? <laughs> but we're trying to create an, an avenue for people to, you know, the people who own the only equipment, the people who you sit. You know, I tell kids all the time, go look at a rap video from 10 years ago with a guy sitting at the keyboard. It's the same guy sitting there 10 years later who these guys are renting his studio. And they're paying them ten thousand, fifteen thousand, five. That's it, right hour. there. Like that's mm-hmm. the
1: long. It's almost that. like You're on a job business. training.
6: Absolutely. So, you know, you have to see that, and I don't. I don't think people do that enough. I'm not saying I'm perfect for doing it, neither. But, you know, I got pushed in this position as a way of, of, of as a way of life, and I can only you can only afford other people to do the same.
0: We have a library aide who was with us, since she was a teenager. Uh-huh. She was one of our junior friends. She won the best award for Nassau County. Right. And it was almost like having to pull her because you knew it was there, and she she finally got registered for library school, wow. and she's going to become a trainee. And it wasn't an easy road. She's from Uniondale. Sometimes she get mad at me. she get mad at Saloma because we knew her potential. We were like, no, you don't need to stay in minimum wage paying. You know, it's good, honest work, mm-hmm. but you need to think about your career path. And it was just something, I don't know, maybe Saloma could chime in, but... Um, unless you don't want her to get mad at you here. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> well, I think she again. Um, it, you guys
2: kind of mentioned it, you know, bringing people up. You know, Stacy showed me a lot of things, and we wanted her. We knew that, well, we feel that this is something that's going to be best for her. But you know, I don't know if anybody raised a teenager. You know, these young people, mm-hmm. they they go all over the place and we just patiently kept bringing her back and um, I think you know she's there I think she's she's figured it out and maybe she hasn't figured everything out but we just kept you know pulling her and pulling her and trying to get her to see um, a different story or a different light so hopefully she'll find some happiness and like I said, so if not, then you know there's, there's other things. But I think this is where she belongs.
0: So I told her I expect her to be director. <laughs> yeah, yeah all that like pressure. She puts <laughs> all no the pressure. pressure, but she can do
1: it. <laughs> and it's funny because I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you off. Go ahead, go ahead. When um when I worked at Longwood, there were so many. I'm going to call them kids. Probably not socially correct or whatever, but you know there were pages and then clerks. Longwood's an incubator. Longwood's a great place because it's an incubator for librarians.
3: The only thing I wanted to say is that that whole mentoring as- aspect is so important because I think all of us can think of someone met, yep. that you know, mentored, mm-hmm. and, and, and like you were saying about um, uh, some people have never, when they say, when you tell them you're a librarian and they say, mm-hmm. I've never seen a black librarian, and you know I think about my childhood, I grew up in Tennessee, and my first experience with, uh, you know, my mother and father were avid readers, so they read to us me and my brother, but I remember the bookmobile. That was so exciting for me. You know, the bookmobile would come every week and you get a whole armful of books and it was just like toys, you know? But the librarian at the local library was a black woman. And, you know, when I think about our history, you know, when we were denied the, the, uh, to be able to read and write you know, it, to be a librarian now, a person who promotes mm. literacy, I'm very proud of that. And, you know, I, and I would like to see more students, but like you said, like Dr. Shell said, we have to find a way of making it sexy, as he says, <laughs> making the profession sexier or letting, getting it out there that it's just more than just sitting behind the desk. Because even adults don't know no. mm-hmm. that. I mm-hmm. used to have teachers when I was, was at the, the high school, li- uh, Freeport High School librarian, some of the male teachers would come in and they say, how can I get my wife one of these jobs?" Mm. <laughs> so, does your wife have that? a master's <laughs> <laughs> Oh no you have a master's You have a master's degree yes you have to have to have a master's degree to be in library you know a lot of people just don't know about that but um, yeah that whole mentoring I, I can think all the ment- all of my great mentors in librarianship were men mm.
1: That's so, interesting
3: not, they were all men. And, um, you know, I feel very proud to do what I do.
1: I think we would all feel that way, right? Yeah. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Yes. Well, I think we didn't solve the world's problems today. <laughs> but we really, I think, put a voice to it. And uh, this is, should be a to-be-continued. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we are going to be asking our group our top ten library questions, or what we call the old three two list, which, again... At Melanie Cardone from Longwood Public Library came up with the name during when she came on my podcast. And I'm saying my because Bob's not here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the 032 list, uh, the number is actually the Dewey number for top 10 lists, even though we have 11 questions. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Again, thanks to Melanie at Longwood, and we'll be back in just a moment.
4: The pizza? <laughs>
0: We are back with Lambert, Keisha, Carol, Michelle, Salama, Stacy, and Sintisha, myself. The group will be our next participants in our 032 list. O- 032 list. O- 032 list. Thank you. <laughs> I, Sintisha, have already experienced the o- 032 list, so I get a pass this time. The questions in our list were inspired by Literary Hub, an informative library-related news site that has stories and interviews related to library land. You can see their work by visiting lithub.com. Visit their site because they educate and inform the library world on great topics from all over the world. Thank you, Literary Hub. And thank you, Ellen Druda.
1: Ellen Druda. That's right, $10. Every time we say Ellen Druda, she's got to pay us $10. So everybody, repeat after me. Ellen Druda. Uh, Ellen Druda. (laughs) There you go. Okay, so, remember, we're not going to hold anybody to their answers. This is just for fun. So going around the table... What did you want to be when you were children?
3: History teacher. Lawyer.
7: A
2: forensic anthropologist.
3: A dancer. (laughs)
6: Oh! Oh, (laughs) A cop. (laughs) lawyer.
3: (laughs) What is
0: your first memory of a library, and who brought you to the library for the first time?
3: For me, it would be a bookmobile. Going to the bookmobile in elementary school. I have to say the same thing, that bookmobile was the most fun, that was my first library.
6: My first library visit, I actually rode my bike to the library and I came outside it was stolen, so that's my first
1: <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> At New <from> Brooklyn.
6: <laughs>
2: well, my, my um, first library experience was more about the books. We used to buy them from Bathmark or something, the encyclopedias. Every week you would get volume one and then next week volume two, so that was the closest I came to the library.
7: I guess for me it would be pretending we were at the library and we had all our books, and I was always the teacher librarian and always dictating what. <laughs> so that was like my first experience.
2: Um, for me is I grew up in um, Roosevelt, so um, I went to Roosevelt Public Library when it was a trailer, and I remember going there um, after school very often. In uh, starting, I guess about
1: eighth grade. So, when did you decide to work in a library? And if not what was your first career path because many librarians choose a different career and then come back.
7: Well of course I didn't get a job in the field that I because I did history and international relations as my
3: major and my first job was a research officer so that's how I ended up in a library. Well I think I mentioned it before I was a teacher first and got laid off as a teacher and the first job I got after being laid off was working in a library and actually I worked with prison librarians. They used to set up Libraries and prisons. I didn't have any contact with the inmates, <laughs> but we used to set up libraries and prisons, and um, that's how I started. You
6: checked your background, Ms. Gillian? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
5: my first uh, job as a library was at 16 as a page shelving the books.
2: And I used to work in the public library, and then uh, one day, a family member said, why don't you go into the schools? The schools are so much better. And I took a class, and that's how I ended up in school library, because I got my certification. My well, mind was, uh, what was the question? <laughs> first experience Like I said, I flunked as a lawyer.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and they redirected me to a real career. <laughs> my master's. <laughs>
6: My first job in the library, I was a youth counselor actually, just running uh working with teens in uh, the Lawton uh, Lawton community in Queens.
0: Who was your favorite fictional librarian?
7: I have no idea. I didn't
3: have one. <laughs>
7: it's so funny, I like I have mine written down and I looked over at Michelle's paper and I was like, wait a minute, we both wrote the same thing. <laughs> Because I was like, "Oh, anyone ever watch Orange Is the New Black and Tasty in that library, putting those books away and having fun?" (laughs) That was (laughs) that was what I thought too. I thought of Pussi. I I didn't want to say say her name, so I was like, "I'm going to stick with Tasty."
6: Tasty too. Right. <laughs>
4: African
7: American, they're in prison. Yeah, yeah. I'll
6: stick with that.
1: So, what would you be doing if you weren't working in a library?
5: Well, my dream job. I always say, if I didn't work in a library maybe I'd like to like own a bakery and be a baker or
1: something we never like had that, that before yeah. that's a good one
3: I'd, prob- cool. I'd probably be doing something in the fashion industry
6: I'd probably be a basketball coach somewhere high school, college, or NBA something like that
7: I'd be nice and poor.
2: Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I am already as an artist.
7: <laughs> oh my gosh! I would, de- you know what? I would love to perform in arts. And nobody would think that I love dancing. But I would love to be like a dancer or something. <laughs> nobody thinks.
2: I love education, so um, probably something in higher ed. What is your favorite section of the library? The arts and crafts section for me. Yeah. I love
7: the arts history and crafts. section. Good
3: Mine course. would be biographies.
2: Yeah, that's a tough one for
5: me. Probably I I don't know. I can't <laughs> choose. I love it all. Oh my gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I can't choose because I'm all over the place. I read everything. Like me, all over the place. I read
2: it all. Next week.
1: Magazine section, cutting articles out. (laughs) Exactly.
2: The next week, it'll be children. (laughs) (laughs) The week after that, it'll be adults.
5: That's me.
2: After that, I don't want nothing to do with the library. I'm going to the auditorium and just sit there.
4: (laughs) (laughs)
6: Yeah. I like the children's section because you can, just like you have the outside inside, you know, you Mm -hmm. can act crazy and make all the noise you want, and it's your space. You do what you want. Like
7: the sex, yeah, like when you walk across the stairs, like, yo, yep. Freeport. Freeport in the building. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, if you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to the library? Well, I work in a small library
2: in a basement, and we service about 800 students. Wow. So, And we have double classes, so I would love a lot, um, and we actually we're supposed to be getting a new library not sure when but the bond was passed oh my gosh there'll be so much we need space for books we need space to hold two classes I mean we need so much so it would be just think of the biggest beautiful school library that you ever <laughs> imagined <laughs> <laughs> that's what's in my head you'll
7: get it you'll get it and I'm thinking about the biggest beautiful public library that has everything <laughs> podcast
3: studio I mean everything they just come there for everything <laughs> Well, I think I I would um, want to expand my department, the Black Heritage Department, because we were just given a big donation from a professor at Nassau Community College who died and has so much information, books, art, memorabilia, all donated to us because that was his dying wish. So we want to start a mini-library in his honor.
5: I would definitely... um builds an outside entrance to my children's room that led to a garden with green area and lots of space that I could do programming outside story time story walks all kind of things
1: as we look to the two bosses
6: I, me personally, I think a, a, a gymnasium with a swimming pool with oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. so you can work your body out Talk on about one side right. say, <laughs> and,
3: uh, Just work right. your
6: body out on one side and then come you can work a your mind gym. out on the other side All mm-hmm. right. I like that idea actually
3: People yeah. will never go
4: home
3: They would
2: never go home It's always got to be so big but
4: um,
2: <laughs> I'm a little bit <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah and annex um, so that we can do um, extended services or something
0: What do you love about your library?
5: At the Oceanside Library, I would say I love the sense of community and family. Everybody's been super welcoming since I've been there. And the community is, they're very about their children and finding, you know, the best opportunities, they're very involved. And I love that the
3: staff and the board loves the library. Well, I have to say I love what uh, I've seen this library grow into
6: me I think it's the theater and the atrium I think you know I think we have the best auditorium in Long Island I just and and you know I just think that our auditorium you know I think Elmont's auditorium is probably bigger but I think we have the best uh, the best space and, and then what we do with it I think it's is good It
2: makes
4: you want to do good stuff yeah. with
2: it yeah. mm-hmm. I love that we simply have a library in a lot of schools and school districts um, across the nation libraries school libraries are being you know cut or um, the room is just a place to house books and that's it we actually have a real functioning library and it's very very cozy everybody that comes in says it's a cozy place even though it's in the basement you know um, i try to make it you know uh, a welcoming place for students and
7: staff i love that as a librarian of color i get to work at many different libraries i get to you know, show my expertise, I get to meet new people, I love the sense of community in Roosevelt, the sense of community in Freeport, and the same thing in Baldwin. cross train pretty much. All the same patrons meet at one point. At you know, at some point in time, you will see a patron at Freeport, at uh, Baldwin, at Roosevelt, and then hopefully the same will happen at um, Levittown. And if not, I'm going to bring them there. <laughs> They're going <follow> <laughs> to follow me. Yes, it's the Thank same Keisha that, <laughs> that worked at Roosevelt, that worked at Baldwin, that worked at Freeport. Come on over to Levittown, I'm there now.
1: <laughs> okay, keeping in mind keeping it kind of short, what's the weirdest, not necessarily worst, but weirdest thing that's ever happened in the library? Remember, I don't have an explicit rating on Apple's iTunes.
2: <laughs> I'll start. Um, one time I was reading Anansi the Spider. I do it every year at first grade. And all of a sudden, a little girl started screaming, a spider! A spider! And sure enough, there was a spider crawling right where I was reading. And we all started screaming, that's Anansi! That's a Nancy, and of course, a little boy tried to squish the spider. And I said, "No, no, 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 we cannot squish a Nancy. and I don't like to see things killed." So a little girl took the spider and put it in the hallway, and that was one of the weirdest
7: things. It's a praying <laughs>
4: girl, weird.
7: Yes. Let me piggyback over you because at Freeport we have a lot of animals and we have geckos. And yes, I'm from the island, but I'm scared of them. We went to work and you're like, oh, one of them is out. And I'm like, where? For like a week I was on edge because I wasn't sure where this gecko was. And they found it downstairs, but it could have been in my drawer. It could have been. I was not. It's not funny. And they're like, yeah, the island girl is... I'm like, yes, I am afraid. I am girl. afraid. Yes, I'm from the islands, but I'm afraid of lizards. <laughs> <laughs> me
3: too. You know, I, can, I mean, there's a lot of strange things that happen here, but the strangest thing that happened to me in a library was not here. I don't know if I should mention it. It, was, it didn't happen here. At no, that's okay. It happened when I worked in Harlem. Uh, this woman came in. I think she was under the influence of something. And you know, I saw her, it was a one floor library, small library, Harlem library. And I didn't see her anymore. And my director at the time, Mr. Hammond came over to me and he said, I want you to go over there and say something to that lady, she's behind the stacks. So I went over there, he, I mean, I, he, he, was, he seemed to be embarrassed. So I was wondering why he was asking me to go over there. Walk over there, she was stretched out on the floor naked. (laughs) Oh, my God!
6: Winner, winner. Chicken dinner. (laughs) So
3: I was like, I immediately ran back to my desk and got my coat put over her. (laughs) And um, so Mr. Hammond called the police, and she fought those police. She was a little tiny thing. You know, and she was, you could tell she was a drug user because she had tracks and everything. Very pretty lady, but she was... She fought them tooth in there, took four big burly cops to get her out of there. That was about the strangest thing that happened. You know, kind of sad, but it was like, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, she was stretched out <laughs> and taken all her clothes off.
5: I guess I'll have to think back to my priest because where I am currently, I'm fairly new still, so I haven't encountered anything weird yet so far. I guess going back to earlier, we had a, a strange patron kiss one of our uh, my fellow co-workers on the cheek for his birthday and she wasn't exactly the kind of patron you would want giving you a kiss <laughs> on your cheek so I mean that's something I'll never forget I'm sure he'll never forget it either <laughs>
7: or remember that
6: I don't, I don't have any weirdest things you know? I think the, the library good. itself is weird <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with you, somebody's writing, somebody really needs to write a book About oh some gosh. public libraries And some of these buildings the Places I work Yeah, I have a nice story <laughs> But I, don't, I haven't no, Nothing really weird though
1: That I can think of off the top of my head You got nothing Stacey? I mean I got
2: a good one about a favorite regular patron But uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite regular patron? There you yeah, go <laughs> When <where'd you pass? laughs> I worked at another library I had a patron He used to always come in smelling like manure and You could tell he worked on a farm Or maybe some different place or whatever Come to find out he worked at like the old Bethpage Restoration mm-hmm. place or something like that And um, he seemed a little weird and odd And just out there whatever Well, no one wanted to talk to him because of the way he smelled and the way he acted. And of course, he became my best friend. <laughs> you know, and um, you know, if you're uh, one of those kind of librarians that's accepting, the strangest ones will attach to you. And he was one of them. Come to find out, he was a millionaire, mm-hmm. um, living out of his car. Um, he had like crazy stocks. He was like a brainiac with Barbie dolls in his car, um, classic ones that was worth millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Look right now
4: he was a millionaire, so that's
3: my regular pay. Did you, you get it? Me- <laughs> well, <gave> some- <laughs> Did you get a dollar? No. Bonus. No
4: bonus.
6: <laughs>
1: so our last question, what are people without library cards missing out on?
2: Everything.
5: Yeah. Everything. My
3: library experience is the best services in
6: the world for free. Absolutely. That's right. I think that's it right there. Yeah. That's
1: what it is now. So you had enough of me now? You guys are done? <laughs> Throwing my ass out three of here? <laughs>
4: I give it to you. It's very yeah, nice. Very no, nice. this
2: was
1: great. That's all the time we have for this edition. And if you have any questions or comments about our show, visit our contact us section on our website, thelibrarypros.com. Thank and we have, uh, we'll have links and photos from this episode on the site. Uh, and you can visit us on Twitter at, at The Library Pros or on Facebook at facebook.com The Library Pros. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell a friend because word of mouth is how our listenership grows. And remember that the opinions stated by The Library Pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob, if Bob were here. And not those of the Sachin Public Library, who hosts most of our podcasts, uh, the M.S. Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. So we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by
6: the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson.
1: Special thanks to Sachin Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.